We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Electric People. We are sitting here with Steve Astafin, CEO and founder of the Family uh, Sports Agency. So, thank you for being here, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, I originally met you at our company does a sponsorship at the Ryan Sheckler Golf Tournament. Yep. I actually think it was a couple years ago. We've yep. done it now for a couple years, but Adam gets to play in the tournament and I get to work the booth. Yep, right at all the, he did all the, I get to know, sweat it out. That's right. Schmoozing and whatever. Yeah, I but originally I was, I was interested in your story. So this is Electric People. We talk about, we talk to people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Mm-hmm. And when I think about uh, the sports management industry, you're really the only name that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fan of action sports and Adam's a huge sports fan. And I think it's been really interesting that for a long time in sports, every time I watched, you know, media or, or saw somebody being promoted or getting a new deal, Steve Astafin was, was attached to it. So, um, where did you start out? You're originally from Boston, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Did you know he's from Boston? I don't know. That's Adam's where I live. from Boston. Really? Yeah, Still? I live, in, I live in Andover. Andover, Mass. I used to play football against them sometimes. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Brockton and Milford. Okay, yeah. down south. Yeah. And like Holliton, tough. Medway. To yeah, Brockton's Brockton. tough yeah. town. Yeah, so I grew up, um, yeah, pretty pretty uh, broken up areas. So everywhere yeah. I, I kind of bounced around. So we lived in probably like six or seven different cities. I lived in Maine for a while and um, back to Boston. I left Boston in uh, Massachusetts 1988 to go to Vail, Colorado. So... Uh, took a one-way Greyhound bus ticket to be a ski bum. My grandmother bought me the ticket and uh, was blessed to start my career there. Met a lot of really great people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just kind of came from nothing. Not a, not the most, uh, not the best up raising. But this in, isn't a boys and girls club show. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I grew up in a pretty tough uh, environment. Uh, oldest of uh, well, total there's seven of us, I guess. Wow. Um, but yeah, we, we you know. Learned a lot from it, that's for sure. And so, you but saw I think getting out there. I did. My mom passed away many years ago. Now, um, I have a brother in San Diego. I have some family all scattered over Philly, Boston, everywhere. Mm. Um, and then uh, I found my way to San Diego in 1994 after being in Vail from '87 to '94. So, well, your time in Vail, you you were first in like retail management or management at the resort, right? But that's where didn't you make a lot of early? Yeah, so I got hurt. Um, I got hurt skiing one year, and Dr. Stedman, the Stedman Clinic's pretty famous there now, right? Like I've had every athlete in the world. He's done Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, you, you name it. But back then, I would have never known how famous he was. Really? But the Stedman Clinic is uh, in Vail, and it's a pretty famous place. And um, I was just blessed to be there again. I got hurt, went in there and met, you know, a lot of people there. They kind of knew my story. And I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? I can't really ski full time. And they're like, well, you should try, you know, snowboarding. And I'm like, snowboarding? I hated snow. I mean, I was a diehard East Coast. I I fell in love with skiing. That was back in the days when there was that huge rift, right? Yeah, yeah, big rift. And so, um, but they said, you know, even like the doctors that were in their 60s, Dr. Stemmen, I think at the time was late 50, he was a snowboarder. And I'm like, well, if he likes it, I'll try it. And so I got healthy in that next fall. I was blessed enough to meet um, some really good people that got me a job with On Mountain Retail, where you just drive the snowmobile around. Mm. I still wasn't snowboarding or skiing really full time. Um, and uh, I met some really great people, pretty high up. I've always been blessed to 
be the dumbest one in the round in the room and surround myself with smarter people. So uh, kind of through that, got a job at retail and they were opening a ski shop that also had snowboarding. And that's when I fell in love. I'm fast forwarding. I fell in love with snowboarding. Couldn't believe it. Like I loved it. Day one, I was like, wow, this is great. It doesn't Usually hurt. don't like it your first day. Usually yeah. Your first no, day is first day was tough catching. for sure. But like, I, I don't know. I picked it up because I can't even remember the pain that everybody talks about. Like I just, I really liked it. I think I knew that like, you know, part of it too is I couldn't go back. Yeah. I had nowhere to go, right? Like yeah. I was living in a place with like five other dudes. So it's like, you know, I, I knew I had to make something work. Uh, and if you're going to live in the mountains and you don't go on the mountain, I, I think that'd be a problem. I fell in love with summers eventually, but you, you, the reason you're there is the yeah, winters. For the winter. So I think I put in a hundred and something days that year because you work for Vail Associates, you get a season pass. And um, I started in retail in the store where they actually had a snowboard shop and basically met my first partner that, you know, long story short, we opened the very first snowboard shop in Beaver Creek based on a frustration of they were doing the ski shop and snowboard shop together. And we found, um, I was just like, this doesn't make sense. They don't like each other. Just like at that time with me, it was like skiers have a different mentality than snowboarders. Snowboarders definitely want to be their own individuals. Mm -hmm. So we tried to go to Vail Associates and Vail Associates actually at the time kind of laughed like a snowboard shop and a ski basket. You know, they have these ski baskets. I'm like, well, you're renting ski baskets. It's like prime real estate. Here's just, you know, Poor kid from, like, I have no education. And I, how can I figure out that $2 for a day versus all the retail you can have yeah. in there? And um, at the time, the I won't, well, I can mention his name, Kent Myers. He's the president. Like, again, I was just happened to be around the right people. We tried to pitch him on opening a snowboard shop in there. And then Jimmy and I are like that summer, like, hey, let's just do it ourselves. Once again, we have no idea how. Yeah. Um, and we started visiting all the banks in the area and everybody laughed at our idea. Same kind of thing, like you're gonna open a snowboard shop. And the last bank we went, went to was this great guy, Dan. He, he was the president of the bank. And uh, he had been East Coast guy, like born and raised in Minturn, Colorado, like Vail, but in a little mining town in between Avon and, and there. And went out to the East Coast, went to college, got his thing. I think he spent some time on Wall Street, obviously burnt out and went back to Vail and said, I'm going to open a bank, first bank of Vail. Wasn't Wells Fargo, wasn't anything like that. It was just literally that bank. Mm. Um, And we went in and pitched him the idea. And we thought for sure, we literally went to a bar at the time that I was barbacking at and had a drink. It was maybe late afternoon and the phone rings and he's like, you know what, guys, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. One stipulation, you got to find a space now too. And we're sitting there going, Shit, <laughs> we gotta find a location. <laughs> we haven't thought you didn't even that. have that. That's Once crazy. again, and these people probably don't even know how important they were in my life, but there's a gentleman that owned the bar at the bottom of Beaver Creek called the Coyote Bar and Grill. And it's super famous in there, like everything from Kathy Lee and Frank Gifford. And I was teaching snowboarding, even an instructor, Jimmy and I both. So I was like teaching people with real money. The tips were great. I was an instructor. And then we were always bartending. Like that was the thing, A, to get women. And B to no offense, but that's how you did it back then. Yeah, you worked yeah. at a bar. We didn't have like didn't Tinder have, like, and all that. Yeah, now guys don't know how to talk to women, which yeah. is another problem. But um, <laughs> you know, so you worked at a bar. You were like, that's it. You know, and a ski instructor or snowboard. So you had instructor. life figured out, man. I, you I, were I, didn't, I didn't even figure it out, but I definitely now know that I, <laughs> I I had it going. So anyway, the owner of the bar, his brother was a big realtor, uh, and Craig or he he. Um, he said, you know what, guys? And I don't know, part of it, I feel like he did it to piss off people. And the other part, because he just was a great guy. And he's like, you know what? You're going to open a snowboard shop? You should do it in the Beaver Creek Lodge. There's a real estate office in there that's coming up for lease. I'm like, Beaver Creek Lodge? That's the highest end lodge in Beaver Creek. Now there's a Ritz and I mean, but this is in 1989. Yeah, 89, 88, going into 89. And uh, he said, you know what? I think we could pull this off. If you guys have the bank loan and you guys are willing to go on the hook, and it's like on the hook, we have nothing. What yeah, are you do? try and take something. <laughs> and, uh, I literally to <laughs> yes, this day we're cannot. To go on the hook. Right. We are. 
I literally to this day cannot figure out with the exception of, I think, you know, like I have a tattoo self-made and now it says no longer. I put the no longer on there recently because I'm blessed to be, have the team that I've had for the last umpteen years to like, to me, self-made was a certain time in my life when I got that for anger to my father and anger to my upbringing. And why didn't you give me that? Or, you know, this provide. And now the no longer, but I look at it now and I probably should have put no longer the day I moved to Vail because I just always got lucky. Prior to that, it was pretty rough. But once I got to Vail, I always just got to meet these people, which mm -hmm. continued on in my career. And, and why my belief is about surrounding yourself with smarter people, really being you know grateful for the people that come into your life because you never know when they're gonna come back around also, which is a ton of those. Mm -hmm. And um, so he got us the space. And so we opened the very first snowboard shop uh, after Vail said it would never work in Beaver Creek in 1989, the fall of 1989, we opened the very first snowboard shop. Now, of course, that year was also a year where things went like this, right? So I'm yeah. talking, it was probably 10 to one on the mountain. We would buy the snowboards, boards, boots, and binding, let's call it all in 130 bucks back then. We would rent them for 70 bucks a day and average 200 board <laughs> rentals a day. Back wow. then, it was just yeah, yeah. heyday, right? Uh, the shop was called The Other Side, to your note there. Uh, even an agent that works at me at Wasserman was my first athlete. He lived in Vail. Beaver Creek and Vail was huge for pro snowboarders back in the 80s and early 90s uh, because of the type with all the log rides and everything. Um, so yeah, I met a lot of great people. That's how I got in the industry. Literally had no business being from Boston. Not yeah. only not being a skier, that was by default also because um, I played football, baseball, basketball, but had to get out of the city for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, I was young and was blessed to be sent off to a school that allowed skiing, and that's how I fell in love with skiing, so. I think a lot of the people, we get to talk to a lot of people that are really successful. I mean, Tony Hawk was our first guest on this podcast, and, and a, a lot of, even just talking to Jeff Curl a second ago, consistent is people that say, oh, I just really got lucky. And I, I think that- Sorry guys, no, dogs are me nuts. Yeah. If you're not watching this and you're just listening, you should know that Steve brought a small fluffy dog that's just right. cute as The last be. thing you would think <laughs> I want. He's just a with. big manly dude with yeah. this yeah. little fluffy dog. He carries dog around everywhere he goes. Yeah, you know? yep. the little um, fluffer. But I, I think it's interesting that people say I got lucky. Luck has something to do with it, but you capitalized, you took a chance. I mean, we, we see this all the time because we train sales reps that come in and we're like, oh, you got this big sale. I'm like, wow, I just got lucky. But I know, there, and you probably know this now, there are so many ways that you can mess up a sale. There's so many ways you can mess up a relationship. I mean, that bank loan, you go in there and the guy says, oh, I want to try this. Maybe he wants to give a middle finger to the industry, but he liked you, right? And he was willing to take a chance on you. I always think it's interesting that. Well, yeah, there might there may have been a confluence of events that led you to meeting a certain person, but you still had to not botch the deal as well. Yeah, I I think that it took me a lot of years to realize that um, everybody, the way you approach things, and maybe just from where I came, I think the biggest thing for me was I knew someday I would have children. Fast forward, I have children. I never wanted to have my kids go through what I went through for whatever reason, right? Free lunch, you get made fun, you know, the whole, you're poor, food banks, the whole thing. So at that point, sports is what helped me because sports made me cool and relevant in a time where I probably shouldn't have been because we didn't come from money and all this sort of stuff. So that was the like, the loophole is that I played sports, I played football, like I tried to get in the cool scene. That's still just a matter of surrounding yourself with people that'll hopefully make you more successful. And I think for me at a very young age, I didn't realize it. I realize now we all say like, oh, if I knew then right. what I knew now, like I tell everybody I'd be less sports, probably play the piano guitar. And people are like, why? And I'm like, 
I can tell all the football stories in the world in a bar and a girl and she's really on me and just talking about it. And then all of a sudden a guy comes in and puts his fingers on those piano and every woman just goes <laughs> right there. Whereas in high school, I beat up those kids. We shoved them in lockers. Yeah. So now I'm like with my son, he's a super quarterback. And I'm like, you're going to play the violin, the guitar and the piano and, trust me this, and golf, right? right? I used to make like golf. Yeah. I never knew what golf was until I was 25 years old. It's hands down, talk about sales. Where else do you get four hours yeah. <laughs> with your future client, your future father-in-law, your future boss, your future friend, whatever it may be. And so golf from a social standpoint was another one that when I did find it, I was like, where's this been? Well, again, access, we have to get that. Yeah. But to your point, I just, I think that you, you put off something, especially in sales, like, Good salespeople, I don't think, I think all the training is great. You have to have structure, process, all this, but you either got it or you don't, right? It's like, for me to be able to do what I did without finishing high school, without going to college, it had to be something that I was given or I was taught or I surrounded myself with the right people from the very young age. And I think I realize now that everybody's like, well, you've been really successful last decade. It's like, no, I think it's literally been since day one. Because for whatever reason, it might have been like where I was like, get beat up, don't get beat up, don't go in that neighborhood. You figured that out, like yeah. the famous saying of street smarts. Um, I, I do informationals a lot with kids in high school and college. And, and even my assistant and, and many people just sit there going like, do you really return every? And I was like, absolutely. Because like the one time I didn't, it came back and bit me in the ass earlier in my career. And I said, to me now, it's like, for those people that help me, if I don't help people, if I can give them just one little piece, isn't that worth it? And who knows, that person could be the CMO of a company someday. So I think staying humble as much as we all get our own egos when we're successful, but like deep down, I'm really blessed to be around great people and now be able to hopefully share as much as I can of my life experience with them. Well, thinking of self-made, we talk about this a lot because when our sales guys come in, they start to have a lot of success. Uh, you probably see it with your athletes. Man, I bet you can't separate it. Where you get a little success, and then all of a sudden there's some pride, there's some entitlement. There's, it's, it tempts people to go through that loop. Um, but our very best salespeople realize that you know, self-made, yes, you did the work, right? But you were in Vail, Colorado. Right, you're you're in America first of all, where you're free and you can you can associate with people and you can even get a loan, right? Like you go to other places, like you have these advantages, and I think your kind of your humble disposition opens you up to receive more because it ultimately makes you more self-aware. You realize what's happening and you can you can go through it. So how do you connect the snowboard shop to creating this empire of athletes that you represent? Yeah, 94. I was about 94. Um, so again, long story short, just it has to do with business. Is that you know, the one thing we didn't realize really quickly is that when you're uh, renting in Vail, period, no matter where you are, you pay a resort tax to Vail Associates, which also discloses your revenue. What do you think that ski basket came a couple of years later? Oh. A snowboard shop called One Track Mine. So <laughs> you got to pay the mob and then the mob yeah, figures competition. out what Competition got a little more tougher. <laughs> like, wait a minute. One like, Track Mine. One boy's making a lot of money over yeah, here. What's he yeah, doing? You're paying like a resort tax 5%. They're like, what? he's driving a Ranger you know, or a forerunner at the time. He's 20 years old. It's like, yeah. so anyway, they opened one. And then all of a sudden, just like even the agency business, if you do, if I've been blessed to be first at market in a few examples, and just like I think this place was with Stance, and that's why I invest in those kind of things, mm-hmm. or I want to be involved is with white space. Um, competition only breeds success. It did for a while. It actually made it more relevant and more, you know, competitive. I had better salespeople. Okay, let's have challenges, right? When you're talking about sales, like, let's give product, let's ride the product. And I remember even when I first opened, Burton wouldn't sell to me 
because they were worried. We're so core and small shop. So like never summer, they were smart and ride snowboards would come in and give my guys boards. At one point it was like, when we became so legit, Burton had to sell to us yeah. and actually begging us. But I think even in the first couple of years, with the ex- exception of the main tourists, we had a loyal Never Summer and Ride fan base. And we Which would Never sell Summer's more boards Colorado, from them. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they just took care of us. And it was like they rolled back again. They gave us the chance. And then I think it's given the chance, then you don't get lucky, you create your own luck. And um, you know, 94 was coming around, retail did get harder. I was having my first child and I was freaking out. I'm going, I live in the Vale Valley. Am I going to sit in this the whole time? And our shop had become really popular with athletes. And I think it spread around the industry. And so Bert Lamar was based out of San Diego, Lamar Snowboards. And he approached me. I had a friend at the company and they're just like, they wanted to relaunch and really become like a dominant team and have it relate to sales. And the market was just starting to really, really climb. And Lamar was doing really well. Um, so I came in and they they offered me a job and they said, move to San Diego. Mind you, I had never been past Colorado. Like when I say Greyhound bus, west. Yeah, I, I literally <laughs> never, like as a kid, we never traveled. We just couldn't, right? Like Maine was about the, New England was the extent. Like I never took vacations. We didn't go anywhere. Like, yeah, Maine, that's about it. Um, so I'm like, San Diego sounds great. Now, again, we live in a pretty incredible place. Uh, ended up taking a job as team manager of marketing of Lamar Snowboards in 94. Uh, fast forward through that, built the best team, X Games, you know, it was the team of teams. Uh, Kevin Jones at the time was the man. UC Oxenden I found when he was 13. Yeah. No way. In Helsinki, Finland. Uh, literally just boosting airs 16 feet. I'm like, who is this? With Enoch Harris, who you might know, been around the industry forever. He, he and I went out there to literally just hear about this kid. He was on Billabong and Arnett and, and Lamar. And I'm like, I'll go check it out. And sure enough, to this day lives in, in Cardiff, as you know, and became not only a client eventually, but I put him on Lamar. So we kind of built this kind of super team um, up against another San Clemente brand forum. And it was kind of like, you know, battle at every event, that type of stuff. Kevin Jones, Andy Hetzel, Jimmy Holopoff. I built this super team, did the first snowboarding video game to help market our sales because we didn't have the budgets of Burton. We kind of 1080 snowboarding was created and we owned it. Like it was basically our catalog. You guys own 1080. Yeah, we didn't own it. Nintendo did, we created it. So like they came to us for authenticity. I said, yeah, we'll help you bring in all the athletes. We'll help you make it legit, but you need to put all our graphics in there. It's a catalog. And we just didn't have the advertising and marketing budgets of Ride and and Lamar. So we had to get creative and nimble. Um, So to this day, 1080 was like all the Lamar athletes exclusively. Like it was a really good setup for us. Um, In 1997, just about 97, 98, which funny is 10 years later from when I did the, the snowboard shop business as an entrepreneur, um, Lamar was about to sell it to a guy named Jamie Salters, which we can fast forward to him nowadays because he's very successful. But um, he was a guy that was great marketing a lot of product. Um, and it wasn't going to be the core brand. Bert had kind of checked out. And so I was kind of getting frustrated. Like I kind of, that was probably the first time I realized that when things get a certain size, I'm no good anymore. Like I, I need to be an entrepreneur. And, you figured uh, out like what your specialty is. Yeah, and Kevin Jones was became my best friend at the, friend at the time. We were traveling together. He was a big guy. I mean, he was the man back then, making a lot of money, having a lot of fun. Reebok was coming into the sport, and Reebok created a line called Box Footwear. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. It didn't last long, but they mm-hmm. tried. And they came into action sports, and they hired all these guys. And Kevin was one of them. And this is literally how I, how I became an agent. Kevin calls me one day, and he's bummed out. And he says, hey, I just got a call. Sal Masakela was involved. Everybody's involved, and we're all getting canned. Reebok realizes that action sports is a little tougher than they thought. 
You can't just buy the authenticity. We had three-year contracts, right? He's like, I had a three-year contract. They just called me up and fired me. And I'm like, that's not right. I was like, I've seen Jerry Maguire. That's bullshit, right? They can't, they can't do that. He's like, he's like, yeah, you're right. I was like, I'm going to call these guys and I'm going to pretend I'm your agent. And he's like, really? I'm like, well, what else have we got to lose? Yeah, I, got I was literally still at Lamar Snowboards. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, all right, good luck. And I, I called uh, this guy and kind of went back and forth. And long story short, I got him almost Just to help two, him years, out. two years severance. No one else. All athletes were canned and they accepted it. There was no agents back then. And... Kevin to this day tells the story. That was the first day of the family. And so what happened was things were starting to go like this, just like the veil thing, right? Is Mountain Dew was coming in and X Games and all these things were going on and corporate and television was coming out. And it's like, well, I could sell these guys. I know them. I'm already selling them as snowboarders for my team, right? I'm bringing them 1080. I'm marketing them. I'm bringing them to X Games. I'm trying to you know, sell boards. And so Kevin said, well, you going to try this? I said, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot having my second child pretty soon here, and I'm just freaking out again going, how do I make yeah, more money, pressure's right? Mounting. Pressure's on. And so uh, I started the family in 1998. The funnier part about this is I went to IMG, which we all know today. They had a Vail office. It's the only thing I knew was like, oh, IMG represents skiers because they had a Vail office. I wonder if they'd be interested in action sports. And IMG is just a huge sports agency. At that time, they were the biggest in golf, the biggest in tennis. They were huge in skiing and, and by far the biggest by far, like landslide. I mean, this is 1998, literally. Um, McCormick, the founder, was still alive, you know, still involved. And I went to a gentleman, Steve Conley, these guys that were running the Denver Vale office. And I just said, look, I got this idea. Um, just shooting the shit like, hey, I just did this thing. And I think I want to represent snowboarders and, and you know, give this a try in action sports. And they're like, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Kind of like the veil thing. I'm like, all right, cool. And I and it hit me that time. It's like when someone tells me no, this works out. <laughs> like yeah. that's all I need. <laughs> like for now on, you tell me no, that's a good thing. If you tell me yes, I'm gonna be like, whoa, whoa, hold that on, was way too on. easy. Yeah, but don't <laughs> like, you have to be an attorney to be a that's an what agent? I thought. I mean, well, we'll get you... to that. No, and yes, if you look at the traditional mindset, it was the the theory, okay. right? Because um, to read the contract. traditional, because look, right. I mean, sports agents, my like, that's my fantasy job. So right. I'm like, as we're progressing through this podcast, <laughs> right. I think by the end of this, I'm going to be turning. Like I'm just like, hey, Ty, I'm in, I'm going for it. Right. Well, there's right. this agency I'm called the family. I'm going to represent for, solar uh, salesman. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, out of my garage, 1998, I launched the family. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, just to kind of get through that and answer any other, you know, like shoot the shit more, but me less talking was. Uh, Snowboarding turned into BMX, turned into everything, and the, and it did kind of go off. So when you um, say the you mistake, launched it, I think. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say when you say you launched it, what what did you do? You just said, okay, I'm I an agent said, now. I, like, yeah, where did you agent. get your contract? Signed Jim like, Rippey, signed Kevin Jones, signed everybody. Um, again, you just went so these guys, and you're like, hey, I'm an agent. Yeah, I did it in the non-traditional sense, which again, if we fast forward 20 years later, this is why I'm more relevant in basketball and everything else. So back then, it was attorney, most likely an older gentleman that was your lawyer, and he became an agent. Arn Tellum, Steinberg, all these famous long-term yeah. centers. Back then, when there was nobody in my world, the reason for that is the traditional agent was there to represent you in a league deal, and maybe even a shoe deal, but even shoe deals back then were nothing. It was, it was about representing you in a league deal, right? And in order to do that, it's one contractual obligation and one contractual process. like. Uh, Barry Axelrod, he's 71 years in San Diego. I just met with him for lunch the other day because his son wants to become an agent. And I'm sitting there like, dude, you've been doing this. He goes, the game's changed. He wow. was a big lawyer, UCLA, 
got some baseball players because he was a lawyer and representative. Fast forward, in action sports, we didn't have league deals. So what do you have to be to be a great agent in action sports? A salesman, saleswoman, you have to. Because the only way I was gonna make Kevin money in them was, yeah, I could represent them endemically with Burton and Lamar and all those kind of things, and that was a good payday for them, but the money came from Mountain Dew, Powerade, Campbell's Soup, I brought in Butterfinger. And that was about the authenticity and me understanding what I was selling, and I knew that better than anybody. I don't care what IMG was gonna do. See, I wasn't even afraid of them at that point because once I got in the fast lane, I'm fine with them because they did get into action sports in the middle lane, and then all of a sudden there was somebody else in the middle lane, but nobody has passed me, not in 20 years. To this day, still, and even, if we just pretend two months ago I was a Wasserman, the most dominant in that space. And I mean, we bought uh, two other agencies that were in action sports I bought. I had one client that paid me more commission than that whole agency did. Wow. Like we had a monopoly and I controlled the market. So guys went from 40 grand to 100 grand to 500 grand, as Ryan will tell you, to million dollars, multi-million dollar contracts. But I had to sell the authenticity, the engagement. I had to sell the product. The product was the athlete. And football, baseball, basketball, I don't want to talk current because I'll talk to how that's changed. But back then, you didn't have to do that. All the baseball player wanted to do is go play baseball. Mm-hmm. If you talk to Clay Thompson's dad, Clay Thompson's dad just wanted his contract to go play basketball. Even back then, it wasn't that much money, but they, they, that's all they wanted to do. So your only job is a, was to be a lawyer to do a contract. In my opinion, doctors, lawyers, accountants, I can hire them. So you, that's what you got to go to school for. So you hire... Right? attorneys to write the deals basically back then i winged it a lot and i had been blessed again to know somebody that could help me look through the agreement i will tell you though the standard contract law is much different than being a lawyer i could draft not even today i'm talking like three years into the job i could probably outdo any lawyer there i mean i could really? you're, you're just you're doing it it's osmosis yeah. you're learning and you're doing it i could i could write an identification clause i actually do it less now than i do it then because now i can afford lawyers they I, we have counsel um, so that was though in action sports anyway, cause now we'll talk expansion, but in action sports, the legal side of it was 1%, mm. 99% of it was being Sales. a salesman. Well, I remember early in the day, man, 1-800-COLLECT oh, and all these like, I'm at the skate park, come pick me up type things or yeah, Travis candy Pastrana, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Like all that kind of stuff. So I that think was the heyday. it's interesting because the way you think is, you know, I have all these friends, no one's representing them. I've got a shot. I remember it was a couple years ago, and I actually, I want to talk about this later, but I think it was Chad Reed that posted your family's Christmas card, the one where you guys were on the phone or you were on the phone or whatever. We'll talk about it in a second. But I told my wife, I was like, this dude, like, behind every, it's almost like when you go to Hollywood and you see all these houses on the hill, but then, like, the big one is the guy you've never heard of before. I was like, this dude is around everybody. He's kind of, like, running this world. And I think it comes from seeing a need and believing in yourself, I could do this, I could sell this, I could represent these guys, because you did something that's never been done before. Yeah, I think it's, you know, again, you create your own luck. Timing was perfect. Um, I mean, I think if IMG woke up as quick as Vail did, if IMG, Octagon, and everybody woke up a little quicker, it would have been tougher. I didn't have any money back then, by the way. I didn't have an invest. I didn't have Casey or anything. Like I was winging this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was literally out of my garage fax paper for a while. Um, then again, and this is the, the the craziest thing. Greg Nelson was a wakeboarder. Um, Greg was the man back then. He was doing Mountain Dew tours as a wakeboarder. Nobody even knew what wakeboarding was, but he was making money. And I represented him. And he came to me and he's like, "I want you to help me with double up wakeboards," which he owned a wakeboard brand as a professional wakeboarder. Mm-hmm. His investor was a gentleman named Austin Hurst, the Hurst family. Mm-hmm. They got a little money. 
Like Hearst family in California? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Hearst Castle No, this family? is literally yeah. William Randolph's, you know, grandson and then the father, you know, that type of stuff. And Greg says, you need to meet this guy, Austin Hearst. He loves action sports. He loves snowboarding. He's a partner in this mountain. Like in uh, back then, it was a LXD series, like a snowboard series in Tahoe. He owns Double Up Wakeboards with me and Artie and blah, blah, blah. And Artie and Jerry owned a snowboard company called FLF Films, which made wakeboard in the summer. But in the winter, that's what I did, steak and lobster, and created content to sell athletes, right? So this whole world comes around, and they're like, you got to meet this Austin guy. And I'm like, okay. I don't know who Austin Hurst is. Then you figure out, and there was no like a Google, quick Google. And then they're like, he's really wealthy. Like, you know the Hearst Castle? And I'm like, no, what's the Hearst Castle? <laughs> and so long story short. I'm from Brockton, man. Yeah, I met him, and I was just like, all right, cool, what's the deal? He's like, look, I want to invest. I invest in Greg, I invest in this. And I said, what's that gonna do? He goes, what, what keeps you up at night? I go, well, I don't even know where I'm, how I'm doing this. I'm scared to hire employees, which I know I need employees. Um, I have two kids. I honestly don't know how I'm gonna pay rent next month. It's basically as I do deals, I get paid, which I also said I think is a bad thing when salesmen live on just commission, right? You gotta have other incentives because maybe you take the deal, at least in our world, you take the deal you need to do versus the deal you want to do. Um, and all he did is gave me, funny enough, about $100,000 and we became partners. And I'm telling you the next day, it was like that security blanket of knowing and having confidence and not being insecure. I just went like this. And I took over Skate and BMX and I hired employees who, to this day at Wasserman, when they joined me, I mean, I have people that literally have been with me 20 years, 19 years. The CMO of this company, Candy Harris, she was my first employee wow. for that, like one of the three or four first employees. So right time, right time, made my own, my own luck. And I think I just got in that fast lane from a sales perspective. And one thing is from a salesperson's perspective is I was never going to be outsold. To this day, I'm not. You're not gonna. It's just not gonna happen. I'm gonna outwork. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. Um, this is my t mentality. What was your uh, What was your Jerry Maguire moment? Like when you hit a bit. Like when you knew. Like you. Hit like it. as far as the money or the just, Jerry Maguire moment was Kevin Jones saying you'll never do it, and I, you know, obviously did it. But um, as far as like monetary value. Yeah, just like the moment where you're where you felt like. I mean, I. You cleared a a, a hurdle. You know, like you you got it to the top of the mountain that you were trying to climb? Well, I think I never thought, honestly, if I look back at my childhood, I can tell you my parents, my dad would like to say now he knew it, but um, my dad and my stepmom are literally, you know, again, I forgive you if they're listening, but like they literally, A, my dad was a very tough man, said you're never gonna make a dime in your life. Like said, I'm gonna be in jail or you're a loser, you're gonna whatever, blah, 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 blah. So I think for me it was when I was able to support, like my kids don't have to go to you know food stamps or anything like that. So my biggest moment was probably like you're saying, was probably like two years into the business where, and then Austin came along, so he guaranteed kind of that first salary of like, I think it was probably, I think he said, oh look, I'll guarantee your salary 100 grand, again, Back then, what also taught me is don't take the first deal somebody gives you, but when you're insecure, I was just like, I don't come from any money and I'm freaking out. I don't know if this thing's real. And I, you know, so I definitely gave him a better deal, but that came around and bit him in the butt. But um, he got a lot of equity, let's just put it that way, for that 100 grand and guaranteeing my salary because we definitely just went like this afterwards. I would definitely structure my deals better nowadays. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I think the big moment would have been that, probably standing at Summer X Games, I think I had won 19 medals out of the possible, whatever there was, 28. You know, literally won wow, every gold clients. medal. Yeah, I mean, I had Bucky Lassick, Bob Burnquist, Dave Mira, Ryan Nyquist, Travis Pastrana, Kerry Hart, Mike Max, like at X Games in every sport, kind of like what I'm trying to build now in every sport and in music and everything, 
I had the creme de la creme. There, you might have had now at this time competition might have the fifth place guy, but like I had podium oh. sweep every sport, or I for sure had gold and silver locked up for a lot of years. I mean, for for a period of time, remember, Mira did not lose for five years a park or vert contest. Pastrana did not lose. Kerry Hart was definitely in the top three. So it's like, I just had that monopoly and I realized that I was going to be okay. And then I think, you know, the other moment was when you can, you know, when I, when I realized that like, you know, not only buying things and cars and I was on the cover of Dub Magazine, you, you get carried away. Like I definitely wouldn't buy the cars again. But when Dub you were magazine. able to do that, yeah, I was literally on the cover of Dub no Magazine. Way. Yeah. <laughs> what car was it? I had a Navigator when it first came yeah. out and it 26 is, I had an E55 Mercedes and a Porsche 944. You just like to see that little guy. Well, how long ago? What, 15 years Three ago? Three out be front. Like, hey, oh, buddy, man, this is a while ago. Down. This is like 2002, maybe. Yeah. How did you? Um, but yeah, so I think I don't know that there was that moment where you're like that Jerry Maguire moment, but I think it was like the moment I could support my family and I knew I could for a very long time. But then the other big one is too, is just the appreciation probably. Like Jared, like like the movie showed you is like, I've had more crying, more hugs, more thank yous than any man ever deserves or a woman. Like I am blessed on that side that I truly believe these athletes, um, my original ones especially, know that I changed their lives forever. Do you feel, I mean, I know you feel the successes. I would imagine you feel the loss and the pain. I mean, you mentioned Dave Yeah, Mira. for sure, for sure. It's one of the saddest stories, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure you're very close with these people. And, and the way that we run our sales teams, we, we try to lead with our hearts, yeah. right? Where the only way to truly help these people is they have to trust you completely. They have yeah. to understand that you have their best interests. They have to understand that, that you're going to take care of them. How much, how much on a personal level do you feel their successes? And I mean, it, this isn't a, I'm assuming here, I don't know, but it's not a, I'm your agent, call me if you need anything. I mean, I've seen you at the fundraising events and at the golf things. You mentioned you have another uh, charity event for Clay Thompson this weekend. How much of your life is that, like the blurry line between friendship and Yeah, so agent? I'm probably, I don't know that I would recommend if there's other people that strive, including yourself, to be an agent to do that part the way I have. Really? Um, you know, I'm probably loyal to a fault a little bit too much. Um, I am blessed. I know what I am do. What I do. I sleep good at night and I'm very, there's not a lot of agents that maybe are the same. Maybe it is just call me when you need me. Maybe that, that's probably what's kept me in the front. Uh, I'll tell you, even some of my employees who I love to death, I was in their wedding or they're my best friends. They're never, they were never going to be me. Some of them just will never be. It's just a, um, Michael Spencer, I give him a lot of credit. He sat down with me, worked for me. He's now on his own also. And he, he just said like, he was sincere. It wasn't, I think it was even after he worked for me. He was literally just like, I just want you to know that there will not be another one of you. And that makes you feel like obviously very good, right? Um, but I would say now some of that is the hardest thing, right? So you talk about, and I can't talk about it much, but Dave, like, so I'm still heavily involved in that family, right? The trust. <laughs> and uh, when she went to go remarried, she called me. And there's a funny story. She called me before, right after she told her dad, the kids hadn't even known, to say, hey, almost asked permission, like, I'm going to remarry. And I knew the guy. He was close to Dave. And I was just like, I was caught up for a minute. And I was like, wow, I'm so happy for you, Lauren. Congratulations. I'm so much happy, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then like, because that was that sincere moment. Yeah. And then like three hours later, I'm like, hey, do you have a few minutes? And I said, are you alone in the car? And she goes, uh, yeah, I'm just dropping off my friend, but call me. It's no big deal, whatever. And I called her and I said, you know, I'm really happy for her. She goes, prenup, huh? And I go, it was like, 
I separate, yeah. but I was like, yeah, we need to talk about the prenup, which yeah. was, it was a funny moment for her and I, now that we got through it. But like the first time I wasn't thinking about money or nothing. I was just right. thinking about Dave and her and how happy I was for the girls to have a father. And I wasn't thinking business. I think most agents, I'm not saying all of them would have said like, okay, we got to look at the trust. Is this guy going to get the money? And then that it took yeah. me like three hours to even hit. It, these guys are a family to me. Um, and, and when I mean family, not just the name, um, I've gone through divorces. I've gone through suicide, Andy Irons. I've gone through drugs. I've gone through deaths. I've gone through everything. Um, it's hit me harder because I've seen other agents and other people. It just doesn't hit the same. And maybe again, that's my upbringing. I don't know. Maybe because I didn't have a family. These are my family. These these people are my brothers and my my children. So. Well, you, just to kind of um, touch on what you just touched on. I wanted to, it's obvious you have this crazy like chip on your shoulder still today. You know, like, like it seems like you've reached this crazy, you know, pinnacle of your profession, but you're not even remotely satisfied with what you're doing and you talk about it, you'll still outsell anyone, you'll outwork anyone. Where do you feel like that chip comes from and how, why is it a sustainable chip that just sort of is this endless, you know, Well, I think you, I think again, it's like you're either born with it or not. I mean, I think part of me wishes I was a lot like some other people. Like I really look up to Blair Marlin. He's a surf agent that works for me, or did when I Wasserman. And I look up to Blair not because he's better at his job than I am or whatever else is, but it's like it's his upbringing, his father, how he looks at his dad, how he looks at his mom, how he appreciates his sisters and his brothers and all that, and like the balance he has in life, right? Like he can go away for two weeks in Idaho and check out. He still does a great job, his clients love him. I know that's probably my advantage over him, but like, I think I respect that more. The chip comes from your childhood, right? Like, I think when you have the situation that I had, you, you and then you overcome it, I'm just always gonna think it's gonna go away. No matter how hard I've tried, no matter how hard I've tried to like chill out, I'm definitely in a little different spot now at 47 for sure, but, um, you know, I'm getting old and I'm realizing in life what, what else is important. But um, I think the chip simply, I, I wouldn't call it, a, I guess a chip maybe, but I just think I f find that the way that I'm going to survive and the way that I'm going to do things that are going to better myself for the things I regret in my childhood, I think maybe mentally for me, it's just like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to do things for people that are really good people. Like I've been blessed to be around some pretty amazing people. Um, I've given them jobs, I've given them, you know, I've paid for weddings, I've done everything I possibly could. And so um, it's a great question. I don't know the answer exactly why. I, I, I don't know, I guess because I'm, I'm afraid it's always gonna go away. Embarrassment maybe, that embarrassment you at childhood that I had, maybe I never wanna feel it again, I don't know. I think that's healthy. I also think, I don't know, maybe this, I don't know you that well, but you, know, you talked on maybe it's a disadvantage that you kind of like, have this family thing. I, you mentioned also that there's not going to be another person like you. I, when I look at the people that you represent and the amount of resources and stuff that they have, I almost wonder if that's part of your appeal and like superpower, right? Like a lot of these professional athletes, you picked up when they were teenagers, right? Yeah, so, back then, yeah. Yeah, when they were teenagers. Yeah. So to have somebody that, I mean, anybody can be a lawyer, 
you know what I mean? Anybody can sell the, the service, but to say, hey, listen, I'm actually going to look out for you. This is going to be a longstanding relationship. I don't know. I, it's something I've struggled with a lot because as, as a leader, we find ourselves being marriage counselors. We find ourselves being life coaches, yeah, yeah. sometimes addiction recovery therapists, sometimes golf buddies. And I think that's kind of all part of it, right? In order to have like a really meaningful impact. And to be the best. Yeah. I you can't just it, answer your phone from, from eight to six. You know I think I mean? with athletes too, like I know a lot of athletes that are great athletes, but they would even be greater. There's some that I just like, why wouldn't you just put that extra thing in? Or why wouldn't you go do this? Or why wouldn't you go do that? And then you meet the ones that do everything and they check every box and you're like, that's, it's just different. Like there's not going to be another one of those, <laughs> not for a very long time. Like, so. So much of our, our leadership's job is to recruit and retain sales guys. And as I'm sitting here thinking about the client base you have and the relationships you have with your clients, um, it's obvious you are a supremely talented recruiter and also at retention because the the agent industry is a highly competitive industry, right? I mean, I'm sure you have agents that are chirping in your dude's ears, you know, from time to time, and maybe there's a respect level that they don't with you. I don't know, but. Um, what do you attribute the key to the success of the retention of your client base? And then how do you go about recruiting new people? Is it all just relationships? Is it, you know, the service you provide? I mean, what do you feel like the key to the retention and the recruiting is? Well, I think, again, on both sides, one, I'm going to go back to the up until two months ago. Um, you know, I've built a pretty big team. Um, when you talk about your team and building, I mean, I but even oversaw, retaining your team. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, I think it's it's similar but different. But retaining good employees or good partners or good staff, I think, is um, inspiring them. So I think if I was lazy, they wouldn't have lasted so long because they go do it on their own, right? Some of them now, I'm really proud of. I'm like, look, I'm gone. You're gonna shine, right? But at the time, and even now, they're saying like, no, that's not what I wanted. Like, even if I'm gonna shine now, like you were a big part of this shine. And again, feels pretty good, right? That's a, like a good feeling. But um, I don't know if it was like, again, I wish I could answer this because like I'm not easy to work for and I'm also not, there's a lot more agents that are yes men or women that I'm not. Like on the way up here now, I, I mean, I was in a full on yelling match with a client going, you're wrong. <laughs> like, like to the point where we want to kill each other. But it's like, the reality is like, this is, I'm going to live with this no matter what good or bad, because you're always, as a leader, you're always blamed, right? In the sense of you're putting that person in that position, you gotta be okay. I want to give my staff or my athletes just enough rope where they can you know, get in a little trouble, but make sure that I can help and give them the lessons so that they don't do that again. I think from an employee perspective, if we're looking at this, like I have salespeople that worked for me for the last 20 years, right? Brad Lusky's been with me literally 20 years this year. Some of them 17 years, 16, but the, my average, and especially in Carlsbad, never mind globally as a company, but, but I would say our average was 10 years plus. Um, that's the blessing, right? Is that, again, loyal to a fault, that's okay. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, you could replace that with someone cheaper. Sure, but I'd be starting all over again. And I'd be training them. I'd be finding out what kind of issues they have in life. What's their husband or wife like? What's their personality? This person over here, I know this person better than they know themselves. That's a plus for me. So I think I, I, I again, don't know that I have the secret sauce. What I do know that is if you're good to people and 
I am not easy to work for. There's times that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from the, like, I'll, I'll let you have it, right? You'll let your Brockton show every yeah, now and Yeah, but then, I huh? think on the other side, and my assistants have always said it, my athletes, it's like, he's doing that from, I, I can even see, like, back in the day, like, HR talking to people, like, that's passion. Mm-hmm. I don't hate you. I don't say, like, you faffing. It's, it's passion. It's because I care so much. And I think the employees could see that. I think the athletes can see that. And I think there's a lot of other people, Not I'm not saying there's not, I mean, there's great people, leaders everywhere. There's better leaders than me for sure because they got it all figured out. But I think in order to attract and keep good is if, you, if you're authentic, again, how I got into the space and was able to sell it is I was more authentic. Like everybody's like, you're gonna do baseball. Like Wasserman was huge in baseball, number one in bass baseball. I'm like, no. And they're like, why? It's like, I can't transcend the spot. Like, Stanton, Sean Carlos Stanton, I love him, $313 million contract, whatever. It's like, but that's all he wants to do is play baseball. Mm-hmm. No offense to him, Andrew Luck, all of them. That's what they want to do, and they're really good at it. They don't want to do the other stuff that I'm really good at, or they don't want the all-in, and these are the things that I'm about. I think employees are the same way in salespeople. Like, if they know you're all-in and you're working just as hard um, or harder, I think they stay loyal to you. I, I've sat in a lot of great CEO meetings, and they could like, why can't I keep these... I was like, man, how many times, and I love golf, don't get me wrong, but like, how, how many times you play golf this week? They're like, oh, four days. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's probably something to do with it. But like, I always knew, and I always slept really good at night, not in a bad way, just knowing that I think I built the respect because I outworked everybody else. And I just, that's that mentality that I have. And I think that challenged them and wanted them to strive harder, or it actually made their job easier, which I'm fine with that too, because I still needed them. Every single person I've been surrounded with, whether it be an athlete or an employee, I needed, no doubt. I couldn't have done it without them. That's a, that's a fact. There's no way this guy by himself in a garage would still be as successful as he is today. Do you have, um, so for the family, this is, this is something you started in 98. Two months ago. And you're coming back to it now. So is your vision for this, are you managing these athletes or do you have a whole bunch of agents that you kind of supervise? What's so your, what's my your vision, because it gets back to our early part in the podcast about the lawyer thing. So this business has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one thing. Traditional transactional agents are already, Arn Tellum was a legend. We bought his company in 2006. Arn's in his 60s now. He's the general manager and CEO of the Detroit Pistons. Whether he wants to admit it or not, I can tell you why he is that and not an agent anymore. And I mean, this man was, remember Moneyball? They made that because of him. This guy in baseball and basketball, he was the best. Mm. Little short lawyer, badass. Yeah, yeah. Flip phone, doesn't know what Instagram it is. You're not relevant anymore. Authenticity, these kids coming up now, male or female, they're media companies. They understand social digital. You can't recruit on integrity in the law degree anymore. Mm -hmm. You're irrelevant. What has always been relevant in action sports is now relevant in golf, i.e. Ricky Fowler's career, and all the cool golfers, they wanna be more than a golfer. It's relevant in basketball, it's relevant in some football. I mean, every sport's different, but there's always people that transaction, uh, transition the sport. If you continue, I don't believe there'll be transactional agent, traditional mindset agent of even this year right now that Wasserman has, that IMG has, that I had, and everybody has. I don't think they'll be exist in the NFL in five years. You don't need it. Clay Thompson's a good example. If you open the paper, you're from Orange County, he's from Orange County, and you know he's going through his max deal, you like you want to be a sports agent, you probably within five million could have told me what his deal's gonna be. Do you really need me to do that? Right. Right? Because yeah, it's just you it's just transactional, look at the, you 190 just look at the, million. He's gonna get one eight. It's, it's, yeah, you just look at the, it's nothing to do with being a lawyer. It's not anything to do with a salesman, really. Like it middle level MBA, there's gonna be a need for an agent. That's a game, mm-hmm. right? Just like baseball. 
I, why I'm not, baseball is a science, it's a math. You're scouting at 14, 13, whatever, and they go play 226 days. I still, to this day, A-Rod, okay. I can maybe name three that would be appealing to me like an action sports athlete, where I could sell them outside by using their platform, mm-hmm. right? A-Rod, definitely. Barry Bonds, maybe, I, I don't know. It depends yeah. if he was playing now versus yeah. then. But I, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, yeah. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Michael Jordan. Those are people to me that that's, they need agents forever, even though they're max players. Clay Thompson, the relationship, you know, how that's been built is BMW, Monster, all the other things that go into an athlete, not just that floor deal. Yeah. That's what became relevant, and I was early on building that at Wasserman because action sports always survived on that. We didn't have league deals, we didn't have television deals. So. Uh, you watch Entourage? Of course. Uh, did you have that Ari Gold moment when you rocked in and shot everyone with the paintball? No, because I didn't leave. I love Casey. I mean, he's, <laughs> Casey's two years younger than me. He's my brother. I mean, that's he's, like he's a blessed brother. He came from a lot of money. Uh, he is a humble, uh, frankly, doesn't need a sports agency to live the rest of his life very comfortably. Um, still a man that I love and respect with all my heart. My moment was not like Ari's. My moment was... I couldn't be an entrepreneur anymore at a company with 2,200-something employees, about to be a lot more, by the way, an announcement that's coming with another acquisition. And I spent my day not doing what I loved mm. uh, anymore. And you know, I could go into detail on that and how long it took and why, but you know, my secret sauce, again, is that those art of the sports of the world. Like, Art of Sport is a brand I launched. You saw it at the event, probably. Yeah, yeah I've seen it. Um, you know, all those athletes are equity. They're not set transactional deals, even all their agents. Kobe, that, Harden, all, all equity. Guys. Every single person on that team except Sage, God love her. We paid her. She's the female, powerful female on the brand. And maybe like one other, two other without going into call. But the majority of that team was equity deals, including me. Um, I didn't take transactional commissions, revenue, whatever. I see the, the potential in right. it. Um, used to be Mike and Casey and I would sit in a room, stance, we both, Casey and I did this, like, or whatever, and be like, let's do it. Now it's like, big company. Yeah. We need revenue, you know, yeah. you, you have overhead, you have debt, you guys are gonna go through this, right? At some point it's gonna be like, wow, all the free stuff we're giving out to the teams and all the wins, and I tell Curl here all the time, like, dude, I love that you give free lunch at, every day, but at some point I'd like to get the other half of the stock sold, yeah. <laughs> right? Like there's just things that culture, I love culture and yeah. there's something to be said for culture, but then there's also something to be said about this isn't good for anybody, right? And I think it, I wish them the best case, they're gonna be successful. I mean, I have, my best friends are still there. Like I'm literally going to a wedding a week, and a, a week from now that seven, one Wasserman employee, including six other agents that I hired are there and I'm there too. It's like, we're family. Sure. It's just not for me anymore. I have goals of, I think, I think what I did in action sports, I'm about to do in music, country and hip hop, uh, art, like the people that do all this, I think they're all a platform. They're all a media company. They're all a brand. They're all this. There's no difference between Travis Scott getting 10 million from Nike than there is James Harden getting 10 million. They're all they're Isn't all influencers. Crazy? So for me, I'm about again. I think I see something. I might be wrong. You might be talking to me in two years, and they're like, "Yeah, how'd that work out for you? you idiot should have should have kept that paycheck over." I mean, I was how's I got paid deodorant? well. How's that deodorant going? Yeah, yeah. How's that deodorant going? Um, yeah, great. You, you got an artist. How's their art doing? You know, like, yeah. how'd that work out? Um, but I think even as I go into music, I I look at it going, I'm gonna take these people out. I love, you know, I'm doing some stuff with Scooter right now. I respect what he's done. I've always watched him from afar and I've to all these other music managers, but it's like, 
man, if you're in sports, you'd be in trouble. You can't do that stuff. Like, well, this is supposed to be, be about the talent. There's got to be an element of an old guard in this this new this new platform that you're going into, where there's the old guard going, oh great. He thinks he's gonna, you know, he thinks he's gonna crash. And it's harder there. now, so I'll take the challenge. But well, that's what—that's what—that's what gets your motor going. Yeah, right? it's, it's gonna take more time than it did when I snapped my fingers before and got lucky and was able to get that much ahead of the fast lane. Um, I think I got a good track record. I think I'm already, you know, you asked the question. I'm building a team. I've hired a few agents. Uh, funny enough, with the exception of one, they're actually coming from the brand side, CMO. Side. Like yeah. this is the future for me. Yeah. I think if you're a CMO marketing, vice president of marketing, salesperson of a cool brand, product here or whatever, you're way more relevant in three years than maybe some other agents I could name their names in those sports. Not so much in action sports, but definitely in golf and basketball. I think those are two big, those sports that do stuff off court. They have a lot of, for different reasons, cultural movement in different ways. Um, definitely football when it comes to certain things. Um, again, I got did an interview last week because I'm starting to do more interviews and starting to talk more. and. I stayed out of the press forever to kind of build up the other people. Sure. Um, and he said, well, I know football right away. I thought football right away. Like, you know, you guys went heavy in football three years ago. You got Andrew Luck as a rookie. He was your only football guy so that you guys learned the business. Now you're huge. And I said, because the way, if I go do just the ones that maybe I could sign now, who I love, there's some great players. It's not that then all of a sudden I'm not authentic just for the paycheck. If I'm doing what I'm going to say I'm going to do, then I need to stay true. And right now, I Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, and I ain't getting that. They're already established. They're yeah, doing yeah. their thing, right? So I got to look at the sophomore or the junior in college that's like, wow, I like his look. I like who he is their or story. she is or their story, and then go, okay, let me see I what I can do. I think that only comes with knowing yourself pretty well. Like you, You've alluded to it a bunch of different ways, but one of the things we tell our sales leaders is your team is not for everyone, yeah. right? And maybe the family is not for everyone, but for the people that it is for, there's no other place, right? And I think as long as you have that, you know, you talk about authenticity. I'll, I don't know the sports agent world, but I bet you speak differently than other people. Authenticity, right? Yelling at people, crying, all that kind of stuff. I'll bet you that's unique, but for those that it resonates with, you're the premier brand. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, and I think when you look at what you guys are doing and, and what anybody's doing nowadays, especially direct to consumer, right? Now we're, we're having to face people again, which I love, mm -hmm. you know? Um, as much as I understand this and I love it and all that stuff, I think there's another trend coming back that people are going to want to sit in front of people again. Yeah. I think experiences are going to come back heavier than ever with a generation they're calling it G now, oh, and Z and all this stuff. Oh yeah, that's the new one, G. Um, I think they're going to. I still think they'll still tell the story with this at the festival, but I think they want to go back to festivals again. Yes. I think they want to experience things. I think they want to be incentivized to talk to people again. Someone asked me the other day, like if you could do it all over again with certain things in your direct to consumer, what would you do? I'd go, I'd hire salesman that used to sell vacuums. And they're or like, solar. is that funny or solar, right? Is yeah. that funny? I was like, no. They know how to talk to people. Yeah. And I said, I got so many people that I talk to now, and it's like, they just don't have the social skills. And sales, gritty sales, car salesmen, real estate, this sort of stuff, you got to deal with people even in this day and age. Real estate, they, they've tried to figure out how they could just make it this. Yeah. It's still not the same. Yeah. I want a realtor. I want to look at somebody in the eye and say, you know this neighborhood. You're authentic. You're going to tell me and sell me this property in Williamsburg early on where I can make some money in Brooklyn. I don't want some guy from like on the phone, whatever, like, yeah, the next hotspot is Greenville, North it's Carolina. All done. Yeah, it's, it's like, all done what? On a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, a spreadsheet or whatever. I think that's interesting about, again, we try to talk to people that resonate with our brand. And so if you look at Vivint Solar, uh, we're the largest direct to home solar company that there is. And 
we don't do really internet marketing and things like that. We deploy people to uh, homes, right? And we connect and we build communities. And I think the ability to connect is paramount. It's the most important thing. And your dog is crashed out. Yeah. You did it. I'm actually really happy that this is going like that. I had to capture it. That's awesome. Yeah, I just had to tell her shush when she walked in. I didn't want to wake the dog. Yeah. So going forward, the the desire for the brand, what's the family? What's in what's in, still, in store? You're going to build, bring more agents on? And yeah, yeah. So I, I'm blessed to just announce one a couple days ago that came from the motorsports industry. Um, I think I'm going to have my golf agent announced and start mid-January. Uh, again, unique. Played golf in college. Actually started out, wanted to be an agent, went to the IMG thing, went through that a little bit, but actually spent his last, I would say his real career, on the brand side of golf. But with a brand that's been very relevant, pushed the envelope mm-hmm. with certain talent, I think he's got what it, it takes. Um, I am surrounding myself with uh, a woman that I think is going to be very talented um, in, in working in sports across music also, um, you know, so I need to build a team and I'm building a team. Right now I've got my infrastructure, right? The most important thing is accountant because I hate dealing with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know I'm blessed to be able to have Cassie who was with me prior, come with me and stay with me four years. Um, there's another Wasserman client on good terms that, uh, not client, sorry, uh, employee that I'm bringing over that's kind of like a social digital for, for for my business. And now I'll start to build the the team that monetizes and produce revenue. It's, I need to have that service and that structure just like you probably do before I can really support my sales guys, which my sales guys and women are the agents. Mm-hmm. So, but in order for me to be attractive, I need to have time to mentor them so I can't be dealing with legal and accounting and this and that. So I'm really just trying to take my time. I kind of wrote it as a three year, seven year, 10 year plan. And everybody's like, why those milestones you're gonna sell in 10 years? I go, I don't know, it'd be up to my staff. I'm also gonna give them all equity, right? Like that's the other differentiation. I think on, people wanna be entrepreneurs now. When I say all, even the, if I ever have an exit, the secretary, but in general, I'm attracting really great people for probably less than they make at a brand or at where they are currently, because I want, the, I want to encourage entrepreneurship. I think it's the one thing the big businesses are missing um, is they get caught up in how many offices do you have and your ego and that sort of stuff. I believe I, with three offices and 100 employees, maybe 150, can get the same revenue and three times EBITDA as my competitors, let's just oh, put it that way. That's and great. I think I can do it. And I think I think as much as I just preach in person, I don't think you need 16 offices anymore. I don't think you need, I, you know, there's some yeah. pretty incredible stuff you can do. Yeah. I think maybe to, on that note, and maybe to close this out, back to the Christmas card. Yeah. Uh, we all run, um, you know, we all have families, we all have kids, and we all try to operate. The thing I respect about you is you said it's 20 years, and you speak with passion, you're obviously, you're not tired, you're not looking to get out of it, you're excited about what you're building. How do you manage it all? Are you good at that? Like once you go home, how do, how do, you, how do you deal with family life and a career that's as dynamic as yours? Look, we, we gotta be clear, and I'm a pretty transparent person. Um, you know, my tattoos are about my children, everything on here is about being a father and, and family or good or bad, but um, uh, how do I do it now? Because I made mistakes. Um, I. I chose business over my oldest son probably because I was worried about him being poor and I realize now that probably he would have rather their dad's time, right? So when I look at my three children and my youngest being 11, I can see the difference of how do you spell love time, right? T-I-M-E, it's not anything else. Um, All the money in the world, he'd probably be thinking a little differently. Um, So what I would say is the balance now is the most key thing of anybody that I talk to going forward is you can still be successful, but don't make somebody else pay for it in your family, 
blood's thicker than water. Um, the name, the family for that reason, right? Why I'm going back to that, everybody's about team, and no insult to like, but everybody's like team, team, team. It's like, no, 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 we're about family. Because family is the thickest, most reliable force of nature. Um, even when you're not getting along, they're still, you can't get rid of them, they're family. As much as I try, trust me, my dad <laughs> and other stuff, it's family, right? Um, so I think like for people going forward and young people that are looking at, you know, marriage, looking at children and that sort of stuff is um, the business will be there. I think that you have to be better balanced. What I find balance now is sleep, health and wellness. I'm actually better than I sleep when I used to sleep three hours. Now I get seven or more. I'm way better. Yeah. I'm better to the people that I talk to. I'm more respectful. I'm, not, I'm more patient. But you just don't know this. It's like the piano versus football when you're young, right? So for me, no matter what now, I don't think I want to go as crazy as the millennials have with this whole time thing, like MILF, millennial, I'd like to fire. That was my other <laughs> t-shirt I made for a while. But no offense, I know you're all millennials. Oh, but, I haven't heard that yeah, before. Yeah, well, that's patent pending. Don't worry. Uh, no, <laughs> don't even but, worry. But, but I, I get it, though. If they, but here's my thing. Is will the millennial or the Z, will they maintain it? Because where it's most important is not me interviewing a 20-something-year-old saying, well, you know, I need a stand-up desk, I need to be in at 10 a.m., and I need to leave at 3 of the traffic, and what's your work culture like, and your Fridays off. And I, only I want you to organic. ask me that when you're in your 40s with your children and you don't miss a football game. I'm flying, I flew two red eyes in the last two months, and I hate red eyes now at six foot five. I don't care what kind of plane you fly, <laughs> okay? They beat you up at 47. I go to football, I'm at the game, and it, it better be a real good reason. And then my youngest son now, I never saw my oldest son do any of these things. Mm. Never. I chose work. I chose clients. I chose this because of that insecurity. Now I can promise you I'll put myself through misery because I'll still do it for the clients when I fly a red eye to Atlanta for some NBA stuff this Friday. But I will, damn, I will do whatever it takes to make sure I'm at every single football team. And something I never thought I'd do is I'll even coach some of his fun stuff. Now he's too good on some of this stuff now, but like <laughs> since kindergarten I've coached. And I think people that have known me from the 80s and 90s, even like, wow, has he changed? <laughs> like, by the way, you never see a dog anywhere near me when I was back in the day. I just didn't care about the same things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think like, I know we're wrapping it up, but I think the thing that I'd want anybody, I know they're salespeople, they gotta make you money, but I wanna see people, instead of it being a fad like gluten and dairy, <laughs> I wanna see this work culture still monetize, still everything, and see them spend the time with their children when they have children, not with the bar or their girlfriend or whatever else. So for me, it should flip to where it's like, how about I'll give you every Friday off as soon as you have a child or you're married or you have a significant other? Because that to me at that point, that balance, you better be filling that tank because if you don't fill the tank, both of them are not gonna be there very long. And having learned the hard way, I can tell you for sure, um, there's nothing like the way my youngest son looks at me now. There's nothing. You, you just, you know, it changes your life. So I would say that balance is key and it would, I would weigh it towards take the red eyes, do whatever you can, but make sure that you spend time with family. It's great advice. And I, I completely agree. It's, it's weird that you learn that stuff. If they can learn it now, right? How much, how much harder could you save? So thank you for sharing with yeah, us. Buddy. This has been a, a very insightful interview. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. <laughs>